Originals. This is Defending in Numbers. It's four sleeps till Christmas, but more importantly, it's no more sleeps until Defending in Numbers, the football podcast where we walk down the corridor of uncertainty, pretending to know a little bit more about football than we actually do. My name is Rob Armstrong. I am a footballing village idiot, a vessel of footballing stupidity. And here to teach me more about the beautiful game today, we have Ali Maxwell, a debutante. How are you, Ali? Very well, thanks, Rob. How are you doing? Very well, myself. Are you feeling festive? I'm feeling relatively festive. Probably seven out of ten festive, I'd say. <laughs> and we have another festive debutante, Lee Warner. How are you, Lee? I'm good, thanks. Thanks. Very excited to be here and making my uh, debut alongside Ali. Festiveness out of ten? Uh, festiveness, I'd say six, just because it feels like it's still not quite there to the point where you can fully relax, sit back and just like do nothing with the family at home. So once it gets to maybe Thursday, I feel like I'll be at an eight, but at the moment, just a six. Let's, let's get a quick straw poll. Winter break? Yes or no? 100% yes. Yep. Winter break? Yes, but in January, not over Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Just a quick one. I think um, if two debutants, you wouldn't normally get that in a league game. This must be some sort of cup. Uh, this yeah. is a league cup game or something. You've it's, got two. Like uh, do we have the yeah. stats on youth? You know, I'm, I'm <laughs> the youngest ever debutant. I want to know these. We've things. both got squad numbers in our in the forties, and we're here to uh, <laughs> here to impress. <laughs> <laughs> number forty two and number forty three, both here, feeling festive. Both want a winter break. Uh, this is defending numbers. Of course, you can listen to defending numbers on Deezer, where you can also find lots more great podcasts, live Premier League commentary and football playlists. You can download the app now or visit www.deezer.com and while you're doing that, let's move on to Week by Numbers. The Week by Numbers Okay, the first number we're going to this week is number 26. Far too low a number for either our debutante squad numbers. But it's the number of games that Mo Salah took to score 20 goals for Liverpool. Just an outrageous signing, really, and and everyone kind of slept on it a little bit. No one sort of, when you looked at the big signings over the summer, people saw that Liverpool had signed him for forty million or whatever it was, and thought, oh, that's that's a lot of money. He's come from Roma; he'll be all right. But really, he's turned out to be arguably the signing. Maybe not even arguably, he has turned out to probably be the signing of the window. Uh, basically, best Liverpool striker since Suarez. And, and something that they've been missing for some time. So, Ali, how, how good do you think he is so far? Yeah, I think he's exceptional. I'm not sure we've seen a player with his sort of profile um, play in such a way in the Premier League f- for a few years in such an exciting counter-attacking team like Liverpool and, and a team who are perfectly good in possession, I should add, as well. But uh, it, it's fair what you said about people sleeping on him. I think the the spell at Chelsea, which just didn't work out for anyone, um, probably contributed to that quite a lot. A lot of the guys who follow European football, world football perhaps, saw the numbers that he was putting up at Roma. And a lot of the really statsy guys did say, you know, this isn't just Serie A. This isn't just putting up big stats in a, in a different league. This is a guy who appears to be scoring at a, a, an unbelievably good level and a sustainable one as well. And that's what we're seeing now at Liverpool. And don't get me wrong, he's in a, a team and playing with players that create many brilliant chances for him. So he's lucky in that regard. But you can't argue with the numbers so far. And, and I don't see it, it just drying up anytime soon. Yeah, I think I think there tends to be a bit of an arrogance about um, the Premier League from certain sections of the media or certain fan bases where a player comes in, is expected to move mountains instantly. I mean, he came in at Chelsea, I think it was the season where they were challenging for the title, I think maybe Mourinho's first year back. Uh, City won it in the end of 13-14. He came in January from Ball. He was still pretty young then. I don't really think he, you know, you can't really expect him to walk straight into the team. He was getting substitute appearances. So his spell at Chelsea, I don't think it was fair to judge him on that. And as we've seen, there are other players like him who have got on from clubs like Chelsea or maybe not quite done it in the early stage of their career at Premier League clubs and then come back and proven everyone wrong. De Bruyne would be another case in point. Um, even someone like Quadrado, who Chelsea got the year after, and now he's you know, fantastic in Serie A. So I think it was unfair to judge him based on his you know, spell at Chelsea. Um, he obviously went away, he was fantastic. And I mean, this year... Yeah, it's, it's not a massive surprise that he's doing well. It is a surprise how consistently he's doing it week on week because he's scoring every week. Well, we've spoken about him on the podcast a number of times, obviously, given he's top scorer, top scorer in England. Uh, but, but we've said, and this was maybe 
maybe three or four weeks ago, maybe more. Where Where's his limit? Like, how many do you think he's going to get? Because we keep saying, well, it's going to slow down eventually. But he just keeps scoring again and again and again. So how many do you think he's going to end up with this season? I think he's kind of got that surprise first season element to him in the sense that he could go on and on and on and there's no nothing really stopping him. Um, a bit like when Kane first broke on scene at Spurs and everyone was saying it'll slow down, it'll slow down and it just never did. There's no reason, like the, the way Liverpool play, um, that, that sort of attacking flair, that counter-attacking and just the players around him as well, just feeding him. Um, but but also individually, he when he gets the ball just inside the box, like you fancy him to score and take his man on and, and, and it's sort of seven, eight times out of ten, get a shot on target. So, you know, he, he. I would be surprised if he maybe didn't break thirty goals this season. I mean, the way he's going. I think you make a good point there, Lee, about the way that he's scoring his goals and the way that his the, the incredible movement that he makes to to get himself in the right positions. And what I think is interesting is, in the old days, in fact, not even in the old days, probably five, ten years ago, he would have been a winger for his whole career, stuck out wide. You know receiving the ball taking players on maybe cutting in and having a shot but actually he's getting into central positions now and it's a, and it's quite a modern I think phenomenon if you will the sort of old school winger redeveloping their game to, to adapt to the, the modern game and he is a, a I mean obviously Ronaldo is the example Cristiano Ronaldo that is but Salah in the current world football is probably the, the best example of that and yeah, I completely agree with Lee. I, I can see him scoring 35, between 35 and 40 goals. I'm going to say 27 in the league. And how many of those is he going to score against Arsenal this weekend? Two, at least, I think. <laughs> um, there, there, um, there are some interesting stats about this game because, you know, we touched on Liverpool's attack and it is a sensational front four that they have. Um, the and fabulous four or whatever oh they're called. Oh, God, yeah. Well, it's like the S-A-S-A-S-A-S-A-S-A-S or something. It's a bit like... I, th- I kind of feel the same about Pep's Man City and Klopp's Liverpool to an extent. Is like the way that they're setting up their teams with the amount of attacking players they're putting on the pitch. If you were playing FIFA or Football Manager, you might think to yourself, "Oh, that could be a bit unbalanced." Actually, I might need to take one of them out and put a defensive midfielder in there. But they're getting away with it because they're they're incredible tacticians and they're finding ways when others would say, "No, no, that can't work." They're actually finding ways to make it work. And of course, they've got the right players. But I just think with Liverpool are, are more they've got more dimensions to their attack than than Arsenal have. I don't think Arsenal are well Arsenal are, are not very good on the counter attack. They've got just 3 goals on the counter this season whereas Liverpool the most in the league with 7. But even, you know, both teams are in the top 4 for possession stats per game as well. So both comfortable with the ball. It's always interesting in games of two teams because obviously there's only one ball so in games where two teams who both like the ball who ends up with it and how does the other team adapt to that I think that Liverpool can adapt to either game situation not sure Arsenal can so I quite fancy Liverpool here I think it also just quickly says a lot the fact that you know the start of the season everyone was panicking over Coutinho it was such a big talking point of whether he was going and then once it was kind of all settled it was still like oh will his head be in it that's going to be crucial for Liverpool this season whether he's there at the races in the same way that maybe Sanchez and Arsenal is like everyone's concerned now because he's kind of drifting in and out of game doesn't really look like his head's in it but the fact that they've just sort of gone on and, and not needed Coutinho I mean Coutinho has been amazing and brilliant you know, in his own right but if you took him out of this side from day one you wouldn't have necessarily missed him as much as you might have thought you had purely because of Salah so mm. it's really impressive all right, let's put the sexy music on for the next number because it's number 69. Don't get too excited, lads. Nice. Christmas has come early. Uh, 69, Celtic's unbeaten domestic run finally came to an end with a 4-0 demolition at the hands of Hearts. And some uh, it was like a 16-year-old kid scored. What was his name? Yeah, Cochrane. Cochrane, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so what, what does that mean for Celtic? Because obviously, yeah, great. They've got this huge run, unprecedented, unbeaten streak in Scotland. But now, you know, do they have to concentrate on winning something in Europe? Because they've won the league a million times. They've actually they're in a title race this year, like a proper one. So, how how good are they coming out of the back of that streak? Well, firstly, I think it, it was very apt given that Brendan Rodgers has been a bit of a Twitter meme over the last five years. That mm. that I think, he, I think I think uh, sorry, Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, <laughs> I think he did it on purpose, stopping the the run at sixty nine because that's just mm. perfect. Um, and no, He's I, such a geezer. Look, Rob, <laughs> it's 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 one of those discussions that you can't really. 
you can't I can't really say because it's really easy I think for us to look up at, at Celtic and and the SPL and say well it's too easy for them there's nothing they can do about mm, that right yeah. um there's also nothing they can do about the fact that they're you know they can't really change the TV deal in Scotland which dictates so much about clubs' finances across Europe, you know, it's the reason why the Premier League club... We got five teams in the Champions League knockout stages and it's basically because we pay billions of quid to watch these guys play on TV. It's not the case in Scotland. So they simply can't compete on a Champions League scale and you can't expect them to, really. Um, I'd be interested to see how they do in the Europa League and I'm sure that Brendan will be really sort of hanging his hat on that because whether it is a title race, like you said, I'm I'm not quite sure. They are they're it's so couple, strong. It's only a couple of points in it at the moment, though. Yeah, isn't it? but they're so strong. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they always pull away, and they do. You know, I think that all Brendan can do is keep winning, keep developing players like Kieran Tierney, who is a, an excellent young prospect, and and try and um, try and prove again that he's the excellent coach that we saw him uh, be at, at Liverpool. And I'd love to see him back in the Prem at some point. Mm. I'd like to see him get another chance. I'm just not sure which club that would be with because I don't see any of the top six giving him a go. Not Chelsea? Not <laughs> I don't think so. So then you're looking really at an Everton or perhaps a Southampton, any lower. And I think his own self-esteem would see him mm. probably turn his nose up. So I actually think they're, they're a perfect match. Celtic and Brendan Rodgers, a great character, a fantastic club. Uh, and <laughs> I, I, think they're, I think they're perfect for each other. Do you reckon they're in a better position at the end of the streak than they were at the beginning? Or do you, do you think, like I wouldn't want to say that it's been easy for them, but I imagine at times... It might have been because there's been a lot of huge wins in there. And then we've seen the last few weeks, it's been, you know, late draws and comebacks to get draws. And then finally this week, it all came undone. Do you think this is the beginning of a sort of uh, a poor patch for them? Or it's just, you know, it's a loss. Any old loss, you always get over a loss, it's fine, carry on. I, th- I think the thing is, because the league isn't that uh, testing for them, if, if it was you know, the case of the Premier League, like we saw with Arsenal the Invincibles, when they did finally lose, then it was a bit up and down in terms of format. They're going to bounce back next week and, and they'll probably win quite comfortably and, and they, they'll get together and go like, we're not, we aren't, no one is invincible, no team will ever go unbeaten, you know, in, in a history of you know, whatever you want to say, but like... You know they were always going to lose at some point, so it, in a way, it kind of is fine because it just means let's just get that that thing, mm. you know, get that out of our minds. You know, the whole and beating thing was brilliant, amazing, and now we can kind of take the pressure off a bit, keep playing consistent, good football. Hopefully, have a good run in Europe as well. Because if they were still unbeaten and they were going, I'm not saying they wouldn't want to be, but you know, if they're still unbeaten in the league and they're trying to, you know, concentrate in, on Europe as well, then it might have been a bit of a distraction in a way um, because they've got this weird kind of, you know, thing they're going for. So. Yeah, I don't think it's a big deal. I think in terms of Brendan Rodgers, um, it's been a great little stepping stone for him. But knowing, well, the, what I kind of see of him as a manager and a personality, he won't be satisfied with, you know, spending the next five years at Celtic. You know, he'll be looking for that next Premier League job, whatever it may be. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he actually went abroad as well. He seems mm. like that sort of manager who might fancy himself in He's Spain. So cultured. As, yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> I just think he sees himself as that. Um, and what you said about him being a meme, I think him actually going to Celtic put him out of the spotlight from the English media and the fans who sort of, you know, did take the piss out of him a bit. Um, so I think it's done him good. Um, it's wise of him because there are some managers like Moyes who, you know, obviously he's doing quite Legends. well now. Yeah, well, I mean, he, you know, he has kind of, you know, he's a good manager and like he was a good manager at Everton and I still think he's got, but he's got a lot to prove now, um, which seems unfair in a way because he did so well at Everton. So, Rogers, I feel like, has stemmed that that tide after kind of a disappointing end to his career at Liverpool. Um, and as you say, I think mid-table Premier League team feels right. You know, a team like, I want to say Stoke maybe, who uh, would come out of that era of, of kind of, you know, Hughes has just got a bit stale and not really signing anyone that exciting. If Rogers could come over, maybe bring some of the Celtic youngsters mm. over with him. and Bring create... some character as well, of course. Obviously, always character with Fantastic Brendan. Fantastic character. Fantastic character. <laughs> um, yeah, then that, he could build a really impressive sort of, you know, seventh, sixth place team, uh, but we'll see. Okay, let's move on to the next number, and that's 115, and that's the number of goals Marek Hamšík has scored for Napoli, which has equaled Diego Maradona's club record. Hamšík, you obviously would never compare the two as a talent, but Napoli have to be looking at him as as a club legend now, really. 
you can compare them as a talisman, not mm. as a footballing talent, but as someone who's represented that city um, and that club, then they're definitely up there. I mean, he's not been able to bring them the title as Maradona did, but for what it's he's a good team though, oh, it's an excellent <laughs> team, and and possibly they will this they will mm. this season. It's it's probably dare I say it the best Napoli team he's played for Hamsik. And I think with that, his own influence is slightly diminished. I'm not sure there were years where he was the most important player in the team and carried that team. And I wouldn't really say that now, actually, that, you know, the, the talent around him and the way that Sarri's put that team together, Hamsik's role is slightly diminished. I mean, that's only because it was so important for so many years. But I, I think he's just been perfect for them, as I said, he's as a character, as a player. He's just sometimes a bit like Brendan and Celtic. You just get a match made in heaven. And, you know, I don't want to put him down or anything, but, you know, there's the question of should we have seen him play for a, for a bigger club, perhaps, or a, a club vying for those Champions League trophies year in, year out. But I think I'm not sure he would have quite reached that top, top level. And so given that, what a fantastic way to spend your career becoming one of Naples' favourite sons. Yeah, I, th- I think given the fact that you know he's gone to Napoli, a, a city which is just steeped in football culture, religion. It's like a religion over there. You know, there's posters and paintings of Maradona on the wall. You go into any cafe and there'll be a picture of Maradona. So he probably got that bug early on and was playing well and, and was kind of, as you say, the talisman, their, their, their sort of main player. So he's probably just. You know, been so steeped in that and, and just loved it over the years, and now he he must be buzzing that you know the team around him is almost up to his level, if not you know going past his level. So you know, if I'd love to see them win the league this year, I think it, they're really excited. It feels like uh, Napoli; they've been sort of slowly getting there yeah. over the last maybe five or six years, and uh, yeah, they finally sort of got it all together as a as a whole team. But he's also you know he's a bit of a well, not a bit of. I'm looking at some stats here from a trusty piece of paper. Uh, it's a Slovakian legend as well, because he's got 103 caps for Slovakia, which I think makes him the second most cap player. He only needs five more to become their all-time most cap player. 21 goals for them. And then for Napoli, 10-plus assists and four out of the last five Serie A seasons. So his level has, has been very high over a long a long period of time. Yeah, I mean, he's the best Slovakian player of all time. There's no doubt about that. If he's a legend in, in Naples, then he must be an even bigger legend a in God Bratislava in <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and the other Slovakian towns and cities. Um, he, not only is he their second most capped, but, you know, in his era, so to speak, while he's been captaining the team, uh, they reached their first World Cup in 2010, got out of a group including Italy, um, first Euros in 2016, got out of the group including England as well, so not just getting them there, but performing on the biggest stage as well, truly uh, a talisman, as I said to start with, just a guy who drags teammates upwards, drags whole clubs and whole nations upwards and like, just that's what football's all about, what, an, what a brilliant bloke and what a great player. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next number from that brilliant bloke and that great player. Let's move to number 13, and that's the number of points both between Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich at the top of the Bundesliga table and Borussia Dortmund and the relegation zone in the Bundesliga table. So a pretty open season there in the Bundesliga. Uh, So Dortmund on 28 points are in third, the Schalke on 30 points in second, but joining Dortmund on 28 points, Leverkusen, Red Bull, uh, not Red Bull, Rasenball Sport Leipzig, <laughs> and uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, the podcast's favourite thing to say. Yeah. Uh, never never a, a better club for messing up than Borussia Mönchengladbach. <laughs> Just try and spell it, Rob. <laughs> uh, B. No. Uh, so we've got Germany. I think the Bundesliga is one of those leagues where it's not like we're with... I mean, you're a Manchester City fan, Lee, so you've kind of broken into that sort of, uh, not monopoly because there's four or five of them, but, you know, that, that sort of top rank of teams. Germany, because it's always Bayern Munich, every now and again they have an off year and it means that sort of cycle of clubs underneath them tends to change. Like we look at, I don't know, like uh, eight, or, eight or nine years ago and you have like Stuttgart and Wolfsburg and things winning mm-hmm. the league. And then the last... You know, eight or nine years, it's been Dortmund have been the one that's been sort of consistently that uh, second team. And now you've got uh, Leipzig, who look like they're sort of on the way up. Schalke have always been sort of up there in Champions League places. Leverkusen, again, always been up there in Champions League places. 
this year, are we going to see sort of Dortmund drop out of the second place that they've sort of cemented for themselves? I know they had a bad season a few years ago when they only got Europa League. But is this like the beginning of, of a new club being the second one that might get a title at some point? I, th- I think it might be for this season, certainly. just there, There's a lot of instability at Dortmund this season. Um, you know, they sacked, uh, they sacked their manager, Peter Bosch, who came from Ajax. Um, people were surprised by that. Um, he made some good signings and they brought in Peter Stoger, who... Was who got who got sacked this season? Not hasn't won a game in the league with with Cologne. Um, did really well last year and is a kind of seen as a fairly credible manager. But I mean, to not win a game, get sacked, and then go to the team that are challenging for the title. I mean, mm. I'm trying to think what the comparison would be in England. I mean, it's well, like Frank de Boer getting sacked this season and then you know Chelsea taking him on or something. It was mm. crazy to think of. Mm. Um, but to be fair to him, he's won his his first two games. Um, he's kept a clean sheet, which is something that they've struggled with this season. Um, so I think you know, I think they'll be up there, there, thereabouts because their squad is is very strong. I don't think they're going to challenge for the title, um, and I'm not sure any others actually will be able to to rival Bayern this season. I mean, the gap's already pretty big, but there's a lot of exciting talent in that pool of teams, and and that's one of the most exciting things about the Bundesliga. It's that you know each season the top four, top five, six is always rotating around. You have you know, Gladbach, a team who nearly got relegated four or five years ago, they were in the playoff for the relegation, I think 2011-12, and then the season after they were champion, fighting for the Champions League spot. So things like that, Hoffenheim, another team who who have surprised people over the past few years, again, like kind of up and down season to season, but, you know, the, it is an exciting league and, and a few young players in, in a team and, and it can kind of turn your fortunes a little bit. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an exciting sort of race for the top two or three, you'd call it, really, because I don't think anyone's challenging Bayern for top mm. place. And, and it benefits Bayern, unfortunately, because, you know, let's say this iteration of Bayern are, are probably a 9 out of 10 team. In the past, they've probably reached 10 out of 10. But this Bayern, I'd say, 9 out of 10 team. The problem is, is that the teams that we're talking about, that sort of second tier, they're all basically seven, seven and a half out of ten. So they're all fighting, as Lee said, together just to get that second spot. And, and it means that Bayern are able, you know, they're, they're sort of five of them in the ring, all punching each other. And Bayern can just uh, nip up and get the briefcase, to use a, a, a wrestling term. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but, but it it's um, it's interesting. I, I, I do think that uh, Dortmund might might miss out on second spot this year they seem to do everything to the extreme right like when they were good they were absolutely brilliant the hipsters choice for a few years um, and then when they were bad they were that, that season you touched on I think they were they were in the relegation zone practically at Christmas so um, you know Peter Bosch started by setting records at the start of the season for clean sheets and wins and then it looked like they were I think they were five points ahead of Bayern after about five games so everyone got very excited and now that you know they've barely won since then until until Stuger came in. So um, yeah, I think you've just got to enjoy the quality of football and the quality of talent that that um, that Lee referred to there in the in these other teams. Yeah. Well, talking about talent, let's move on to the next number, and that's two thousand and seven. And let's pour one out for Kaka, who retired this week. We're pouring out we're pouring out our lattes. It's very early in the morning when we're recording this. Uh, two thousand and seven was the year that Kaka won the Ballon d'Or. Uh, and announced his retirement on Sunday. So we've seen him basically be the best in the game to then kind of kind of filtered out, didn't he, really? But when he was at his best, how good was he? He was. He, he won it all. I think that's the mm. first thing you've got to say. And was, was he in the 2002 World Cup? Yes, yes, he was. He was. But, but a sub, I think he maybe came on once or twice. He's claiming it, and I'm yeah, giving it to him. He, he's won it all. I'm going to stick with but that. He's given it to Jesus. Don't forget. <laughs> yes, that's true. He's <laughs> given it all um, to to uh, to Jesus. But no, I think uh, when he found the right situation, as he did for those few years at AC Milan, uh, he was fantastic. And what sort of stands out when you watch a compilation of old Kaká of great Kaká is he was a slightly different sort of Brazilian player. He was sort of skillful, but more with the way that he used his body to beat players and his incredible pace. That was the main thing. He was like six. He's big. He was. He's not dead. He's like <laughs> six foot two or six foot three or something, isn't he? Yeah. And he used to glide across the pitch. That's exactly it. He he glided. I don't know. Glid. What the, he glid. He glid, <laughs> he glid <laughs> across. <laughs> the, um, and and that's what's so notable. You know, such pace, such clever use of body to get round players, but also seemingly when running at a hundred miles an hour 
his brain sort of worked in slow motion and whether it was playing the final pass or having beaten all the players slipping into the far corner he never smashed it he always rolled it in and he just sort of it was as if his brain was working in slow motion and, and that was when he was at his best brilliant he's obviously got the, the greatest Champions League final assist of all time as well uh, the, the, the pass for Crespo in the 2005 final to make it 3-0 and as we know because we all turned off at half time that was, uh, that was it they won that year Come so victory, big, big yeah. victory yeah, it and he gave that one to Jesus as well. Yeah, yeah, he takes it all. So yes, I, I think um, you know he, he had a tough time at Real Madrid. Injuries um, wasn't really the right fit as well. Trying mm. to squeeze all those players in, um, but when he did find the right the right sort of um, profile of team for him, um, he was the best player in the world. Lee, what do you reckon of his sort of stint in Orlando? Do you think he did a lot to? Because you know, whenever someone goes to the states, it's always well, he's going to build the game out here. I would argue, Kaka, that club is more or less founded on him having been there for their opening season really absolutely I mean you know they're, they're building franchises all over the mm. place in, in the MLS sorry not the club moment. yeah franchise come on get it right <laughs> <laughs> um, they're building franchises um, <laughs> but uh, yeah I guess when they do start these these teams they they probably feel like they need that star that star name to put on the back of the shirt um, and Kakao was definitely that um, from a you know from a, an English fan's perspective it did seem like it was potentially a little bit premature. I mean, I know he had those injuries, but I would have liked to see more. I think he's only 35 now, mm. which is old. But you know, I've seen we've seen players, you know, especially of his generation, you know, play a lot longer at a lot higher level. I think that was like the the biggest shame of, of Kaká in a way, which is just unfortunate, as you said, with injuries. But um, yeah, it would have been nice to see a few more years of him maybe in, in the Premier League. But well, yeah, you were a Man City for eight. <laughs> oh yeah, he was hanging out his window say, with the AC Milan yeah, shirt when you were trying to sign him. Then went to Real Madrid, didn't he? He did. Yeah, I mean that was um, one of the more unfortunate sagas um, in our kind of transfer history. Um, not as good as Rubinho. He would have always been. turned out to be a great bloke. He would have been in Ilano's shadow anyway. Yeah, exactly. There is a thing with the Brazilian players. Do you think where they they just they tend to burn so bright when they're at their peak that kind of a few years later they they just they just gone and forgotten about they and do like i think the 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 bad thing is when they go back to brazil yes because when they go back to brazil at 25 or 26 and they realize yeah exactly and adriano and yeah. the minute they you know get i don't know what the national dish of brazil is <laughs> but whenever they get a few of them down them and yeah. they become a little bit Mm. Comfortable. <laughs> it's the rice, the rice, beans, and the meat. That's the that's the national dish, pretty much. Yeah, it, it's true. Actually, it's a good point. I think with Kaká, and you see it a bit with Torres, maybe with Rooney as well. That you know, famous you, Brazilians. Yeah, yeah, famous, <laughs> well, famous, very good players who who might be burning out earlier than than, mm. than we might expect, but. Kaká, I seem to remember, was breaking into that Sao Paulo team and playing quite a key role when he was like 17, 18. So I think often when you when you look back at a player's career, instead of maybe looking at just their age, you look at basically their mileage and when they started playing first-team football because generally you can only really sustain a top-level performance level for about... Eight, nine, ten, eleven years, and you know that's when right. he he was seventeen. That's eighteen years ago. So it's really tough to to keep it at that level for for that long. Mm. And just a quick word on the uh, Ballon d'Or because obviously he was the last one to win it that wasn't Ronaldo or Messi. <laughs> and uh, Philip Lahm's been slagging it off this week, saying it needs a bit of a spruce up because it's basically in a popular uh, popularity contest for strikers. What do you reckon? Do you reckon it needs a re-voting or is that just, that's just football, isn't it? Strikers get all the glory. The, the voting system is a, it's a bit silly. I mean, because when, the, when they release the voting afterwards and you see like players voting for their own teammates, Gareth Southgate, I can't remember who he voted for, but it wasn't, definitely wasn't the best three players D in the world. Didn't Roy Hodgson put Mascarano? Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Oh, what a legend. I love him. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I'm not quite sure what the revamp would be. I mean, whether it be like a points-based system based on your position and, and so defenders would be, you know, Defenders would be judged on certain stats that are completely different to what a midfielder or, or striker would be judged on. You know, we're getting into kind of you know the metrics of like a fantasy football mindset. I think mm. here a bit, but um, I definitely think there needs to be more credit. I mean, you're looking at like David de Gea this season for United. Um, if he continues to put in those performances, there's no reason why he shouldn't win it ahead of Messi and Ronaldo mm. because you know, especially at the moment, um, Messi's you know can't stop hitting the post and uh, you know Madrid are a, a little bit off the pace this yeah. season although yeah but I, I just I just think yeah it, it could do with a, a bit of a, re, a rethink I kind of really I'm really I, I don't know if I'm missing something here but Messi and Ronaldo have been 
otherworldly for a decade. And that's why they've shared the trophies. They've won trophies every year. They've scored the most goals. They're clearly, you, everyone can see the best players as well. Like, I don't think he's really got a point here because there's no single year in the last decade when another player should have won it. So it's just but bad Mascarano. timing. Apart from maybe that famous Mascherano <laughs> year when Roy saw something that we all missed. So I kind of, I mean, I'd love there to be a bit more recognition and I, and I absolutely see where he's coming from there. And maybe there should be another award to, to recognise that sort of thing. But I just think it was slightly a, an odd thing to say, given the people that are winning these awards to my eyes, are quite clearly mm. the best. And I'm just excited about the next 10 years when I don't think we're going to have such a standout mm. one or, or two players. So, so then we Marco might see... Marco Ornautovic. Yeah, but if you look before, you know, the, the, the decade before, Cannavaro won it in 2006, Kaká in 2007. Mm. You know, you saw Zidane and Nedved win it. These weren't all just goal scorers. So I, I don't personally think he's really got much of a point. Yeah, yeah I, I, Actually, that is a fair point. It reminds me a bit of tennis in a way, of the period of Federer and Nadal and the Federer and Djokovic and kind of just going back and forth almost feeling unfair. Um, but realistically, he takes that back. You know, actually, these guys are the best at what they do, yeah. and no one else has done quite what they did this year, so it's hard not to give it to them. Okay, let's move on to the next section. But before that, there's a reminder that you can listen to Burnley versus Tottenham on Deezer on December the 23rd. That's Saturday. Give your family the gift of your absence by disappearing into another room and listening to the commentary of Burnley versus Tottenham at half five. Do it, download the app, do everything. Feed Lee. Download the app and feed Lee. Need it. <laughs> Let's move on to Embarrassed to Ask. I'm embarrassed to ask. Ah, oh, Cristiano Ronaldo. You can't beat a bit of Ronaldo delusion. Uh, Real Madrid won the Club World Cup this week. Club World Cup, Club World Championship, whatever it's called. I don't know. Generally, Europe... Who cares, right? I missed the rebrand there. It's always been Club World Cup for me, but they, they sneaked a rebrand in. Yeah. The Car- Carabao Club World Cup? <laughs> Carabao, yeah. Sponsored by Chevrolet. And so Ronaldo wanted a guard of honour against Barcelona. Uh, Ronaldo, I was just saying, well, you were all listening to that wonderful jingle, saying, for me, I love him so much more than Messi because he's so completely insane. Uh, you were using a, refer- uh, a wrestling term earlier. I think Ronaldo is the heel in wrestling, right? He's a, he's a lunatic bad guy. And I just think, what kind of Muppet asks for a guard of honour for the Club World Cup? I don't even, I support West Ham. I don't even know what silverware is. <laughs> and I wouldn't expect a guard of honour for the Club World Cup. Yeah, I'm finding it. I'm finding it hard to sort of um, find a swell of of of, uh, of anger either way here. I think I think it's all a bit of pantomime. I think it doesn't hurt. I think it's all quite good fun, but I can't take it too seriously, to be honest, Rob. I think um, he was just probably being a bit cheeky. We know what rivalries like. The mm. other one's always on your mind. How can you find a way to get at them? How can you find a way to get one over on them? And and it's a and it's a clever thing to do it's a funny thing to do you know give us a little guard of honour in your in your stadium when we come and play you but you know it's cheeky for him to ask it might be a bit cheeky for Barca to say no as well because actually it's a bit of a tradition in Spain in uh, in 2010 and 2015 Betis and Villarreal uh, gave a guard of honour to Barcelona after they won the Club World Cup so what? there are teams who have done it before which is a bit of a plot twist <laughs> well that changes everything yeah why, why did they say no then oh well I think it's I think the rivalry between the two teams is probably the main thing, but I don't know what about you, but the first person that came to mind when I heard this news was Roy Keane. I don't know why, because I just thought I can imagine his reaction to this of like hating this kind of new new era where it's like this sort of nonsense would be asked or expected. And it, it does feel a little bit embarrassing, but at the same time, as you say, like it is quite funny mm-hmm. of, of Ronaldo and it is a bit of a wind-up gag and he's probably just trying to spice things up before the game. So... In a way, sort of fair play to him. A um, classic heel thing to do, Rob. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, he's taunting. He's just taunting. He's, yeah, <laughs> he's they, pressing the D-pad. The, the guy's down <laughs> and he's just taunting to the fans. But then if he turns around too late, then... Steel chair. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so he's got to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about the, the Classico itself. That's on Saturday night. Christmas truly has come early as we're treated to a Classico. How much of it is going to be spent uh, with the referee dealing with petty incidents and who's going to win? Uh, a lot of it and uh, Barcelona. No, I mean, it's uh, it's really exciting. I mean, that game, 
I, I was uh, seeing on Twitter someone was asking for the, the best football matches of 2017 and uh, that one came up a lot that last uh, Clasico of the La Liga season last year was everything was on the line it was an important game for the league uh, Messi stepped up big at the end amazing celebration holding his shirt up so normally following that there's going to be more scores to settle. There's going to be more pride at stake than ever. I'm going to hype it up as much as possible because I'm absolutely buzzing for it. I think that um, every time these guys play, it's it's interesting, it's exciting. Normally by halftime, that has died down because there have been so many fouls and not enough cards. But um, let's hope not because I think there's potential for this to be, uh, to be a really good and even game. And massively crucial as well, Real Madrid... Uh, I think eight points behind, aren't they, in the league? So if they can sort of, it's a good time. A good time is any around the, the old festive period to start turning it around, put a bit of doubt in Barcelona's mind, give them a defeat. What do you reckon? Is it is it doable, or are they just too good this season? I, I think it's definitely, I think it's definitely doable for for Madrid, and it's an important game for them. I think if they do lose this, then it's all of a sudden the 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 makeup of the season is kind of looking more like the Premier League is at the mm. moment so they do need to be careful um, but they shouldn't I don't think they should go into you said that too... very smugly <laughs> yes <laughs> very... I am quite smug at the moment I'm being told in the office uh, I'm trying to curb that a bit um, but yeah it's a, it's a big game it's always an exciting one um, It's I always find it's a less cagey big rivalry game than some of the ones you'll see in the Premier League like often United City or Liverpool United is is a lot cager effects built up all in the week by Sky and then it, it just kind of flats the Red seat. Monday Ooh. yeah so and, and this one I always find does actually often more often than not deliver so I'm really looking forward to but it but neither team can get away with being cagey really with their mm. fans and uh, neither have Jose Mourinho in charge so <laughs> neither manager is sort of leaning towards that naturally anyway but the two teams are, are, are you know they're still unbelievably good teams maybe slightly different to how we remember the great Barcelona team this Barca team in its new iteration it's actually founded on a pretty solid defence to start with they've been very good defensively this season um, they're, they're trying to squeeze Iniesta and Rakitic and Busquets all into the same sort of team so and it's Paulinho and Paulinho as well so I say like two best players in the world without Neymar they, they, they haven't focused so much on, on just getting it to the front mm. three but they, they still play a nice possession based game there's not a huge huge amount of pace in that Barca team was, and not a lot of power either I think that's where Madrid could, could do the business because their midfield with Casemiro Cruz Modric Isco I mean the midfield battle is going to be crazy Was it this weekend I, I, I saw it on Twitter I'll hold my hands up I was celebrating West Ham beating Stoke away <laughs> I, I didn't watch any of Spanish football this weekend but uh, was it this weekend they scored the goal where they basically started this passing move Passed it like 50 million times yeah. to front and then Suarez finished it off. With like three back heels and a couple of outside of the boot passes. Yeah, it was it was an incredible goal, yeah. Moisey-esque. Moisey-esque. <laughs> All right, let's move on to who's this fella. Who's this fella? So there's something happening in the Midlands. In, is it yam country? The black country. <laughs> the black country. <laughs> the yam, no, yam yams, isn't it? What are they called? I've no idea what, what you're on about. Don't they, don't they eat something called yam yams or Tim whatever? Tams? <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Anyone who's in the black country. Maybe uh, ham. <laughs> Have you heard of ham? It might be that. Oh, that's it, yeah. West Yam United, my favourite team. Uh, Nuno Espirito Santo, the manager at Wolves. And what he's got in his team, I believe, is a bunch of incredibly talented Portuguese people because <laughs> he's got Ruben Neves isn't he who is the youngest captain in the Champions League ever Yeah, and somehow they managed to get him from Porto down to <laughs> yeah. up to the black country to eat some yam yams I mean it's not really somehow uh, the, the it's George Mendes isn't yeah, it yeah exactly the, the Chinese owners um, of Wolves who came in about just over a year ago probably um, they have a very close relationship with Mr Mendes who as we know is a very powerful man who can move in incredibly talented footballers pretty much wherever he wants and Wolves represented um, a team that some said oh, will these players want to go to the championship will they be able to previously his stable basically focused on Porto and Valencia um, and uh, but they did uh, Ruben Neves Diogo Jota Ivan Cavalero Helder Costa um, 
that's only that, those are probably the standout stars, but there's a, a couple more of them. And Nuno, the man we're talking about, who was Porto manager last season, rocked up in Yam Country. And is, is it, the Yam? I just googled it. I wasn't I wasn't not listening, but I was googling Yam Yams. That's what the that's that's what their firm was called. Is the Yam Yam Army? Yeah, I mean, the, I believe that's how you say great it. Great right. knowledge. Oh, the Yam Yam Army. There's, there's a couple of interesting parts to this. I think it's he, he's. He's got the most talented squad probably in championship history, um, but he's doing very, very well with it. Now, when Foson first took charge and last season they had Paul Lambert in charge and they did have some of these players last season as well. And Paul Lambert possibly wasn't the right man to sort of make the most of them. And they, they, really, they were very inconsistent and they fell away when it got cold and all those sort of cliches about foreign players. And after such a good start, I think people... They, they sort of kept bringing that out again. How are they going to do when the winter comes? You know, all these flare the players. Game of Thrones. Yeah, mm. <laughs> turns out they're doing just fine. They're, 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 they're on course for a record points total. Um, he's got them playing basically the exact sort of 3-4-3, 3-4-2-1 that uh, Chelsea played last season. And just like Premier League teams struggled to adapt to that last year, the Championship, which is always a couple of years behind in terms of trends, they've got no answer for it. So he's doing a a fantastic job. And really the question now is, how good will they be in the Premier League next season? Mm. Uh, Lee, they're they're earning on average 2.33 points per game. So if they keep that up all season, 46 games, that leaves them with 106.6 points. They're going to get two thirds of a point. Yeah, is that more Extra. than Man City got in the 2001-2002 season under Kevin Keegan? I'd like to know that. <laughs> so the record is Reading, who got 106. So with oh, really? 106.6, Wolves will be 0.6 points yeah, better than the good for them. Yeah, but they didn't have Ali Benabi and Ayal Berkovic in the centre midfield, so it doesn't count. <laughs> Ruben Neves and Roman Saiz are the new Berkovic. Uh, yeah, um, no, they're, they're they're an excellent team. The interesting thing is as well is that they have got this this ridiculous talent and. They have also, he's managed to get some of the sort of older players, the British players who were already in the squad, players like Connor Cody, Matt Doherty, um, players like that. You know, they're all a big part of the team as well. So he's not just using this talent. Is Kevin Doyle still there? He is not still there. Chomping on his yam yams. He's over in the, he was over in the States and then he recently retired. Yeah, oh. I, I think it could also be, you know, just on a, on a more serious point, it could be the start of a bit of a trend in the championship because... Ten, what you tend to see with teams coming up from a championship, it's it's the likes of Newcastle who go down with such a good squad that they come straight back up, or it's a Huddersfield potentially who are a bit of a surprise package. Um, but like you know, this could be a thing where teams, are, you know, owners or foreign investors, are seeing the potential of taking on a you know a team in the championship, building them up, bringing these exciting players in, and then going into the Premier League with a ready-made squad. I mean, you could put Wolves in now, oh. and I don't think they get relegated. Um, the no, squad's that good, and also defensively, I think they've got the most clean sheets in the league. So oh. it's not just the attacking, creative flair of Yotta and Cavallero and Bonatini, and so it's. It's it's really exciting what's going on there, um, and I can't wait to see them in the Prem next year. Hopefully, well, if they get there. Is Yotta, or as I've stupidly been calling him, Jota? Uh, <laughs> is that the same one that was at Brentford, or is it a different Jota? Different one. There's a there's a whole lot of hotter in the uh, in the championship. <laughs> there's two of them, and uh, and Brentford <laughs> hotter. I'm not comfortable with that. <laughs> Brentford uh, Hotter, who was one of the league's best players, certainly in the second half of last season, um, got the old big money move to Birmingham, where he's currently bottom of the table, playing terribly. So, good for him. A word of warning to those chasing the money. (laughs) Good for him. Right, let's move on to the final section, Stats Showdown. Stats Showdown. It's got a whole lot of hotter in here. <laughs> okay, right. Let's move on. Let's let's carry on to the, the the crux of the issue, the stats showdown, which is the reason it's got a whole lot of hotter in here. <laughs> Basically, lads, it's time to impress me with short, concise stats that I can reel out and pretend are mine, as can the people of Deezer. It's best two out of three. I am the judge. I'm the most important person here. You're just contributing Lee I'm going to come to you first big pressure bring the um, stat in so my first one I feel you know as a Man City fan I couldn't leave a Man City stat out especially when it's this good so obviously you know we're going to go and beat him this season that's just a fact um, we're, we're well on our way to that it's you know looking quite comfortable now um, but one of our players could go a whole season unbeaten 
if he stay if he doesn't lose his next two games for City, and that's Bernardo Silva. He's not lost a game in his last thirty six games in uh, in the league. So you know, amazing stats. He's hundred and two points he's accumulated in his last thirty six games. Obviously, um, that's for Monaco as well. Um, his last defeat came in the eighteenth of December two thousand and sixteen against Lyon. So we have an invincible in our midst already. Um, it's just a matter of time before the rest follow suit. When you take away the smugness, that was a good stat. <laughs> I, I mean, quite, the kid's coming like off that. the bench for five minutes at the end and he's picking up this great record. But he's been doing it for a season. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, Gabriel Jesus had a similarly brilliant record, didn't he, until, what game did he lose? Uh, the Shakhtar game, yeah. when he lost. He hadn't lost for Palmeiras, Brazil or Man City for like over a year. So, great stat. Um, I'm going to go with... Condescended, great stat. I'm going to go oh, with God. one uh, looking at the, or sort of ahead of Liverpool-Arsenal, right? Um, one of the things that we know about Arsenal is that they fold in big games and they, they try and walk it in. One of the things we know about Liverpool is that they're terrible at the back and so vulnerable and, and really poor. What if I told you that Liverpool have only conceded two goals from open play in their last nine league games and one of them was that cross from Willian that floated all the way in. From open play? Yeah. How many have they conceded from set pieces? That's not part of the stat. <laughs> I feel like I feel like the big thing with Liverpool is that they concede a lot from set pieces. Do Arsenal score a lot from set pieces? Mid, middle of the table for that. Middle of the table. I, I think there's too it's many good layers. It's, it's good knowledge. It's good knowledge. Too many layers. Lee. Cheers. You get the first point. Thank you very much. But of course, now you fire back yeah, instantly. I, sh- I should say I got that stat through um, Andrew Beasley, who's a- an excellent Liverpool analyst on-, on Twitter for all good things Liverpool. So my Not second- good enough to get the point, though. No, not quite good enough. Cheers, good Andrew. But not good enough for the point. <laughs> Never again. Um, my second stat uh, will blow your mind. So Olivier Giroud, right? Yes. Been at Arsenal for a long time, was sort of first choice striker until about the start of last season when an injury to start the season saw him pretty much lose his place and since then more or less been coming off the bench for the Arsenal. Since the start of last season Giroud's been coming off the bench and scoring a goal every 97 minutes which is not only the exact rate that Mo Salah is scoring at this season but in the all-time Premier League goal scoring history the most the best ever player for minutes per goal is Sergio Aguero with 109 minutes. So off the bench, Oli Giroud scores a goal on average every 12 minutes quicker than the best ever. What I'm saying is Giroud's the best Premier League striker of all time coming off the bench. It's a good one. Do you think he's ever going to, just on that, do you think he's ever going to leave Arsenal's bench and try and get a stint in someone's starting eleven? Because it feels like he should. I would have thought so, but he'll lose that record. Well, maybe that's what he cares about. He won't feature in podcasts anymore. (laughs) Uh, You know who's third, the best ever for minutes per goal in Premier League history? Solskjaer. Adam LaFondre. What? That's in the Premier League website. I I thought it was a parody, but he is number three. I feel like Okazaki's good for that, but I could be completely wrong here. I just feel like he doesn't play much, but whenever he plays, Mm. especially off the bench, he just pops it with a goal. Doesn't he he start every game and get three goals a year? (laughs) I swear recently he's just been doing it. I don't know. I'd like to check that. Maybe after the show. Next Uh, week. I don't think he's anywhere near Lafondra. I'll be honest. <laughs> right, your turn. Come on, Lee. So um, I'm going to go away from the Premier League for my second one. Um, and it's something we touched on earlier, um, Lionel Messi um, and Barcelona. And the stat is that Lionel Messi has hit the woodwork more times in the league this season than 91 out of 97 teams in Europe's top five leagues. So the only teams that he hasn't are Bayern, Roma, PSG, Inter, Napoli and Bilbao. Hmm. So they've all got, you know, between 10 and 12. He's got 10 in his own right, 17 in total Barcelona have. So he is 90, 90 he, well, he's seventh out of 97. So Messi versus teams is basically the start. Okay. It's good, yeah. but okay. my issue is, you know, it's Messi playing for Barcelona. Of course, he's, he's going to have a lot of shots. Yeah. He's going to hit the bar a lot. Okay, okay. I'm going to even it up. I'm going to even it up. Fair. I don't mind that. I like I like in, the Giroud stat. I've got a lot of time for that stat. I like I like Olivier. In traditional, you know, two out of three falls match style, mm. it's gone one all. Funny that. <laughs> no one saw that one coming. <laughs> so now it's crunch time, Lee, and you've got to take the the front foot 
I feel like I've, I feel like I've gone early with my two best ones, so I'm worried now. I feel like I'm going into extra time and not much left in the tank. You've used the rock bottom and the people's elbow, and now yeah. you've got nothing but a flimsy spine buster left. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. Shame at man's coming in as well as the referee. Um, I say so. I'm going to go for this one. So, if Roberto Firmino scores on Friday, he will have scored more Premier League goals against Arsenal Wenger's Arsenal than any other Liverpool player. And I think that is quite impressive considering Wenger's been around for so long and, and it does feel like Firmino's just trolling him now a little bit, um, just, just smashing goals in against him every time he plays. So that it, is my one. It's a good stat and I also loved the awkward justification of it. I, I think it's <laughs> yeah, interesting because of this. <laughs> Come on, Ali, I think he's there for the taking here. Yeah, except I should have just kept Adam Lafondra for this one, really. Yeah. I went too early there. And like somehow Lee's just really, really done me over with his with his second stat because my third one is Mo Salah, who we discussed earlier, has taken sixty seven shots in the Premier League this year. That that's a lot, and it's the second most in the league, right? There are four players who've taken in the fifties Aguero, Sanchez, Lukaku, Richarlison. Now that's still quite a lot of shots, fifty shots. You can probably guess who's first in the league. Who's the guy that just shoots all the time? It's Harry Kane. So there are four guys in the 50s, Salah 67. Harry Kane has taken 100 shots. So almost double, basically, what the players who are taking the most amount of shots are taking. He's had the most shots on target. He's had the most shots off target, the most shots blocked. And annoyingly, given what Lee's just said, he's hit the post five times, which is more than 13 whole teams in the Premier League. It's a very similar stat. And maybe just to sway it, what I will tell you, is that the team who've hit the post most in the Premier League, Rob? It's West Ham United with eight. Cure you, Irons. <laughs> Finally, top of something. Oh, I'll tell you what. I'm going to give it to Lee. Oh. And Ali, I'll tell you what your downfall was. A little bit too long on the last stat. Yeah. It's got to be, you know, something I can reel off. You can't reel I can, off. I can, I can lean on the bar and tell someone, like, you know, Firmino scored more goals than any other player against us, a Liverpool player against Arsenal Wingers. He Arsenal. played it down, but I thought that was his best stat, actually. Oh, yeah. It was, a very, it was very humble, which is surprising because he's been floating on a sort of cloud of smugness. <laughs> Sky blue smugness in the corner there. Uh, Lee, you won the stat showdown, which means yes. you get to tell people where they can find you on the internet first. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, I'd say, is the best place, Lee Warner 2 um, You'll get loads of niche Manchester City references um, and a bit of film chat as well. So Forget yeah. about Lee Warner 1. No, it's Lee Warner 2 all the way. I, yeah. Yeah. That guy, is just he's made it in Hollywood, so you know, I had to go for two, unfortunately. Yeah. What an idiot. Mm. And Ali, where can people find you? For uh, re- really long stats. You can find me for really long stats at the Makalele Roll on Twitter. And you can find me at Rob Armstrong underscore WH. And of course, you can find us defending in numbers on Deezer. And you can also find lots of podcasts, Premier League commentary and football playlist. Download the app or visit Deezer.com. And we'll see you this time after Christmas. Oh, my God. Have a merry festive football period, also known as Christmas. And we'll see you next time on Defending in Numbers. Defending in Numbers is a Deezer Originals production. You can find and download more episodes on Deezer and all major podcast providers.